You're listening to And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club for Friday, July the 31st, 2020. How's everyone doing? July is over! <laughs> Another month and rolling into quarantine again. I know. Still, this whatever. is what month number four or five of our uh, it's, it's, lockdown to me, it's reality. Month, it's month like um, upside down question mark backslash asterisk percentage sign um, like degree and the N with a little squiggly line on it. <laughs> We are what, like less than or a little over three months away from the election? Yeah, I think we're now officially under 100 days until election day. But mo- being that most of us are probably going to do mail-in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, they're trying to kill the Postal Service, not the band, uh, but the actual U.S. Postal Service. <laughs> you know, we should all be voting as early as possible. So it's less than 100 days. I will also say that if you have the option um, to do vote by mail, I often just hold it and then walk to the polling place and like hand it in right there. And that way I don't have to deal with the Postal Service. Um, And yeah, but I understand, of course, if you can't go in person because of health reasons that. Yeah, just you see, email. as a Canadian citizen, these are things that I have zero reference I to. Always forget you're Canadian, uh, Marvin. Well, I always it's like you're, you. You yeah. would have mo- changed over by now or something. <laughs> I just figured. No, that's why he yeah. talks. He talks about the election and like, and then he's just like, "Well, what are you guys gonna do?" I was like, "Marvin, <laughs> oh man, I still live here, so I, I'm counting that's on you true. all to uh to to do the right thing." Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I'd have more impact if I were not here in California, right? The people, whenever I talk about possibly moving back to Texas, people are like, "Well, you could probably like make a difference there." Hey, down ballot races are just as important. Voting yes. for your local representatives, um, looking voting for your um city, city, local, regional, city council county. positions, yeah. uh, yeah. state representatives, all very very important. Don't forget about those. Oh yeah. And also fill out your census if you haven't. I think they've extended the deadline right. to October because that is also very, very important for future elections. Just aren't we in danger of losing our representatives? We are <laughs> in danger. So me and you, Marvin, we're in the San Gabriel Valley, which is the 27th district. It's and it is potentially right? 27th. 27th. Oh, okay. And this is probably why we're in danger of losing <laughs> our district. But yes, it covers basically the whole San Gabriel Valley and like all the way through like Pomona. Our current rep is Judy Chu. Uh, and I mean, it's not like I don't think it's like a hundred percent, but yeah, we are like one of the district areas that are up for grabs if we lose a seat in California. So please fill out your census <laughs> if you have already. Make sure your parents have filled out their census. Just everyone do it. It literally yeah. takes like five minutes. It's less intrusive than like signing up for like a like a like a Gap account, honestly. <laughs> It's fine. You can do it all online now. Yeah. It's yeah. no excuses, guys. This do it is... while you're like pooping on, you know, like when you're sitting there and like poop with your phone and pooping, like just fill out the census. Census hey, goals. We all know how long you spend on the toilet pooping, you know, spend instead of watching YouTube videos till your butt gets numb, just go sift out your census. 
Yeah, it's like doing your civic duty while doing a duty. Duty. <laughs> oh my god, I. That's it's, amazing. It's something that would shame my mom is that I've been taking my Vietnamese lessons on the toilet. So hey, no, whatever, hey. whatever you gotta do. <laughs> my Duolingo. Do do lingo. You know yeah. these days. These days when we all work from home. Like when you're at your desk where you're usually watching YouTube or whatever, it feels like work. So you got to let loose. Got to change it up. Change the scenery. Yeah. And <laughs> I don't know the kids if this pool. is, I don't know what your guys' situation is, but like I'm with my, my family. So like my room, my bedroom is also my office. Like I, there's no like additional space. Like I'm not in the living room. There's no like extra space somewhere else in the house where I can like work. So like I am, I am very much living and working <laughs> in the same like, I don't even know how much square feet my room is. It's not big. Mm. Not big. So well, any 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 deviation from from the norm is, is like a little <laughs> vacation. <laughs> this, of course, is Good Pop, the civic engagement podcast, I guess, for this week. <laughs> no, we're here to talk about pop culture news. It's the end of the month. Um, so this week, we're going to do our monthly news roundup segment called Do We Want This? Um, my name is Marvin Yue. Joining me, as always, is... Self-proclaimed professional Asian American just you. Hello. And of course, culture editor Han Wen. Hey. Oh man. So July. You know, just I wanna um I wanna get your update because um since we last talked last week, you've upgraded your home cafe to yes. include a pasta menu now. Yes, my, my my pasta game is strong. I have since uh or my my boyfriend um, has since bought me a pasta board so apparently (gasps) like these grandmothers in italy just have this like it's like a big cutting board but you roll your pasta on it and you exclusively roll pasta on it because to cut anything on it would like impeach flavor and it's like an heirloom you like like you you bring your pasta board if you're gonna make pasta for in in any other location because you can't trust no bitch and that's like that that deep like Italian Nona energy is something I inherently understand. So he got me one. It's bigger than like it's like probably like covers my entire torso. It's huge. It's pretty heavy. I've been making pasta. I've been getting pretty good at it. I think the Italian grandmas would be fairly proud. Uh, I've been making fettuccine, tagliatelle. I haven't gotten to the rolls yet, but pasta is now on the menu. And also, I have now ventured into pizza making because I have started a, this is all very cottage core, but I've started a sourdough starter and you have to discard like 75% of your starter every single day. And like the Asian in me is like, I can't waste this. So I, <laughs> I either make crackers or I make pizza crust, which led to me buying a pizza steal from Kenji, <laughs> J. Kenji All Lopez. Like there was a fundraiser where like 15% goes to Black Lives Matter. I was like, yeah, sure. Um, which is like a really weird version. This is just a very weird version of like if you give a mouse a cookie. It's like if <laughs> just you is stuck inside, she won't make pasta. And if she makes pasta, she's gonna also she's gonna buy a pizza steal. And since she for baking bread, and since she's baking bread, she might as well make pizza. Oh, I'm looking forward to your boba business. <laughs> I love that you're also um creating these uniquely Jew household flavors, right? Because both your pasta board and your sourdough starter are going to be unique to your kitchen because of all oh, the, yes, the flavors yes. and microbes and, and how And probably all that works. my own like human like 
mm-hmm. microbiome <laughs> yeast. Yeah. I mean, it's really gross when you talk about it like that. But yeah, it's that it's, special we'll just juice. Oh, what's that tang? <laughs> it's just juice. Um, I will say I started the sourdough starter like a week ago and I killed it by accident. So I had oh, to no. start over. It's actually very hard. Um, I would say taking care of the starter is harder than taking care of my dog because my dog will at least like tell me what it wants. Mm. And like, you know, if it's hungry, he'll like bark. If he wants to go on a walk, he'll whine. But the sourdough starter like can't say shit. It just bubbles and then like, you know, I accidentally left it somewhere too hot and then it died. <laughs> and I was so devastated. It, it was like the ending of Romeo and Juliet. It was like very traumatic. I was like really sad. That's the one thing that's keeping me from actually doing it is the constant attention that a sourdough starter needs. Because I've been wanting to do like maybe like a buckwheat sourdough starter. You can buy a starter. A lot of places will sell it straight so you don't have to do the work. But I think that's cheating. It defeats the point <laughs> of making your own sourdough bread. Or you could just take some of mine once it's a little more mature. We can have a Juya sourdough hybrid. Oh, my God. That's like, like you want to have, oh, you want to have a bread baby with me, Marvin? That's oh. a little intimate. <laughs> that's intimate. That's it's, intimate. It's, gonna, it's like one of those arranged marriages where we're trying to, you know, breed. It's about the families. <laughs> this is um this is like a this is like an acceleration or like a like a like a step up in our friendship that I don't know if we're ready for <laughs> to have a bread baby together. It's like we have to work out a custody agreement. We have to like think about where to send it to school, what religion's gonna be raised in. Well, are we gonna like trade it back and forth so it gets like the nice, nice if you, from if you both want sides? like a true yeah, if you want like a true Jew yeah hybrid bread baby let's let's talk more about this because um this I'm, got weird I'm semi-serious okay. <laughs> too but i'm excited that your um home cafe empire is growing i look forward to yes, um catching up you. on what new stuff you're creating next time i'm sure you'll get some sort of like i don't know start smoking your own meats you know things like that oh, yeah. i have made i have started making pickles oh i mean you know the, the italians did get noodles from us right so oh 100 percent. it We're is claiming our that. heritage food too so yeah, I'm I'm reclaiming pasta. You know, it was uh it was stolen. For, it was appropriated from us. And I'm going to take it back. Yeah. Decolonize it. Mm-hmm. Well, besides your adventures in noodle making and bread making, um what's some popping? Uh right now my life is one thing and one thing only, Taylor Swift's folklore album. So this past weekend should have been Loverfest West, which I did in fact have tickets to. I am a diehard Swifty from way back when. Uh, I was a stan of hers, uh, not quite with Taylor Swift, her first album, which she released when she was 15, which is actually very upsetting when you think about that. Um, but like ever since Fear- Fearless was was big, it was big in my heart. Um, and every album since then, I have been a really big fan of. But to think that this woman who is not even, she just turned 30. Uh, in like four months of quarantine, released, wrote, produced, and released a whole ass album, and it's a fucking an amazing album. Is like both inspiring and like deeply upsets me as to like, damn bitch, how are you so talented? <laughs> it's I have it's it's great. I love it. It's it, everyone keeps saying it's like 
drastically different. I was like, I don't think it's that different. Um, I think if you've listened to some of the deep cuts in some of her other albums, there's a very similar tone. And maybe it's less produced, maybe more stripped down. And that was probably a necessity of, you know, recording an album in isolation. But also it's produced by Aaron Dresner of the Nationals which is like he has his own very specific sound and people have been saying like it's very nationals, but it still sounds very Taylor. Uh, so I have been listening to it. I'm on a thread with several of my friends. It's just like a Are you analyzing folklore. every single track. It's just like a, it's just like a, we're not even analyzing. We're just basically like fangirling. And at a certain <laughs> point we just started writing like the nationals and Taylor, like fan fiction. Like, we're like, how do you think they met? Like, <laughs> you know, like, what do you think that meeting was like? What do, what do you think their conversations are like? <laughs> So uh, I I don't yeah. I, I like Taylor's music I don't follow her I'm not a stan like you um but what is it about this album like is she still doing the thing where she's singing about her exes or is it like she's been pretty happily in love for a few years now her and her mm. boyfriend Joe Alwyn seem pretty stable though there is like some very interesting conspiracy discussion about who Betty is about it's about Carly Kloss they're totally gay for each other it's canon. <laughs> But it's definite. Um, so it, it's a. Uh, it's she's just. I mean, she's a thirty-year-old woman now. I think the feelings, emotions, the situations she's writing about are a little more specific now. More mature. A, a little more mature, as you were. Um, but it's very. I mean, like all of her songs. I feel like no matter what she's relating about, she's such a great storyteller in her songs, and she's such a talented so- songwriter. And she, there is a little bit, a lot of like old Taylor, like country Taylor coming back. Stuff like The Last Great American Dynasty, which is like the song about the woman who owned the house she bought in Rhode Island. And then she ends it, though, in turning about like, now I'm that woman who like doesn't give a fuck about what the neighbors think. And I'm like, I'm really happy for her that she's like gotten to the place where she just. I feel like she like I, I don't know Taylor Swift at all. Let me just <laughs> disclaimer. I do not know her at all. But I feel like I'm really happy that she's like now in this place where I think she cares less about what people think of her as you do when you get older. Yeah. And um, and I think that has really unleashed like this creative. It's always been in her. She again, she's not she's 30 and she has eight albums that she has written like that's crazy. Uh, and so I'm, I'm very happy for her. I stand. I cannot wait for Loverfest to, you know, they've rescheduled for next year and hopefully it will include stuff from folklore. This is now a Taylor Swift podcast. This is not a Taylor Swift <laughs> podcast. Um, I'm very happy that you've, um, that, uh, that Tay Tay has shown up for you, giving you life. Han, what's popping with you? Oh, uh, boy. Um, I've been occupying myself with a few things just because I've really been doing a lot of television critics association press tour stuff. Uh, (laughs) So, but that's work. Um, But uh, something I just saw, and this is on Netflix right now, which is called uh, the speed cubers. It is a short film documentary by Sue Kim. um, And it is about the uh, Rubik's cube competitions where you're, you're solving them. Um, and how in 2017, um, Matt Kim, Max Kim, sorry, Max Kim, um, took the title away from a two-time winner, um, Felix Zemdegs of Australia. And so Max Kim is an American, Felix is Australian. And so the 
short film is about the 2019 competition because it's done every two years. And so those are the two sort of like the big, uh, like all the fans are like gunning for one of those two. And um, the interesting thing, though, is that Max uh, has autism. And so he's around 17 during the time of this filming. And so he when he grew up like learning, you know, cubing, um, which was actually something his mom taught him in order to sort of bond over something, then um, he was looking up to Felix. And so like when he started going into competitions, it's like, oh, I'm going to he's like asked for his autograph and 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 took a picture with him. And the weird thing is they're actually friends. And Felix, like every time Max um, breaks one of his records, no matter what, where in the world it is, then um, uh, Felix will text him and be like, congratulations. So he's kind of like the big brother. It's super sweet. And so it's an interesting take on the competition, you know, type of documentary. Yeah. Uh, I love it. The student yeah, becomes a master. We love that narrative. It's so great. It's so great. <laughs> and and it's like only 40 minutes. I definitely put it on. Um, it's also just fascinating because like I know plenty of people who can solve Rubik's Cubes, maybe not in the time period, you know, given. I am but not just, one of those people, by <laughs> the way. Just, I, like just break. They break down like how you're supposed to do it a little bit. Not really. Um, but like I like i knew a guy who could do it like when we suspended him upside down from the rafters and all this other stuff <laughs> well but, i know um, it's supposed I'm, to be something about like pattern recognition right that's yeah like you you can you know the number the types of moves it takes to move one square some, to some other place in the cube mm. so you learn enough of those uh sequences and then you can solve it but the thing is these people know maybe 300 sequences and they can s- study a cube um for about a minute and then figure out which moves they have to do in their head and then they do it in less than like seven seconds so um these are remarkable people (laughs) um who have incredible like planning and spatial awareness and all this other stuff so yeah there's no way i could ever do it how Um, long does it usually take them to solve a cube well the really fast ones are under seven seconds like right now like under seven um is kind of like fairly average uh and then like the fastest fastest on record right now is like under four seconds um but then they also have other competitions where they have like people doing it with blindfolds one-handed or even with their feet um and uh yeah it's just it's just kind of crazy but yeah it's actually but i just really like the whole like friendship sort of storyline there i think it's really interesting um and i wrote a quick thing (laughs) on uh salon about it like yeah i was saying like that also made me miss the olympics again because it's about (laughs) international friendship and competition and yeah essentially it's a sport right because it's it's something yeah they call it (laughs) it's it's a it's like an olympic sport where it's something that like is super niche right (laughs) yeah 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 like you have to really pursue it and that's why it's like people travel all around the world and so like when these mainly they're kids and most of them are guys i don't know why um they travel around the world. They know each other. So it's like summer camp. And it reminds me of actually press tour when I used when I when we do we go. And so it's I, like, oh, I also love the sports narrative of like greatest rival, but the only one who will understand what you're going it's, through. It's so sweet. It's, it's, it's I, I really, really enjoy it. Um, 
And then kind of following along with that, um, because I've been jogging, I, I can't really listen to music when I jog. So uh, I've been listening to narrative podcasts. And when it comes to fiction, I haven't been finding a lot that I like. But uh, audio documentaries I've been really into. So after listening to Moonface by James Kim, I actually went back to his um, documentary series, The Competition. Right. His independent one, right? Yeah. Uh, I think it's independent. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then so the he has two seasons. The first season is set in the uh, Van Cliburn International Piano Competition. Um, that was in 2017. And that's every four years. And so you like follow along with various contestants as they go through the various rounds. Um, like one contestant is known as the uh, video game um, pianist because he he's the guy who like was blindfolded and he did the like Mario theme. So you can just Google that and he'll probably come up. Um, but anyway, so you, like you get to know each one. And also the interesting thing is because this competition, he can't predict who gets booted. So if someone gets booted, he has to find a new contestant. Um, and you can also hear sort of the process of him trying to figure out like how to re report on this and also how to do the, the audio documentary start part of it. So you actually hear people like, oh, OK, so you have your mic now. OK, yeah. <laughs> and so that's kind of an interesting um, peeling back the curtain. And the second season, which I start tomorrow. That's the one is, about the leather competition. Yeah, right? it's about Los Angeles Mr. Leather Contest. Hey. So I'm very excited. I remember excited. James talking about this at yeah. an event once. Yeah, I'm very excited to hear what sort of audio things he does with that. But uh, yeah, so I'm all about that. And I've been exploring the wide world of podcasting um, in the yeah. past few weeks. So Marvin, what's popping with you? Um, it's been kind of a slow week in terms of my pop culture consumption. Um, for some reason, I decided it was time to watch Chernobyl because I really wanted to watch a fictional take <laughs> on a government a oh. that um, very badly handled a crisis because of incompetence mm. and um, blaming. Um, you know, totally fictional stuff that yeah. um, has nothing to do with our current times and was not depressing at all Be to, like, compare oh. our current government with, like, Soviet-era, like, politics, right? Uh, great show, though. <laughs> Very well Are made. You excited? I can see why. <laughs> Are you excited for the limited series in, like, 30 years about 2020 U.S. COVID-19 response with everyone having British accents? And yeah, like I don't know who's gonna play forty five, but probably some like British person with like a really like bad tan. You know, it's kind of it's kind of sweet that you think that it's gonna take thirty years because I bet That's you true. there's or, a billion scripts mm -hmm. being written right now about yes, yeah. The, so there'll be one like right away, and then thirty years will pass, and then everyone will have forgotten about what happened, and then they will do another like dramatization of this. And it will be like when a bunch of Emmys and stuff. Um, yeah, so that that's usually how the cycle works. It's gonna be prestige works, right? TV, mm -hmm. and we're gonna be hopefully alive and talking about like guys. It was really shitty. Whoever we don't want to watch this. Whoever plays the president, that's gonna be their like Emmy Best Actor in a Limited Series role, like nomination. Yeah, so so when we're on like episode like seven thousand four hundred of Good Pop podcast and we can cover it the the reboot series in 30 years from now oh and talk about what we were doing during 
the shutdown pandemic. Oh my god. It's just so like it takes on the extra layer of depressingness knowing that basically governments aren't good at this stuff, especially like if you're in a society that is built on exceptionalism, right? It's you can't say that you made a mistake. And because you can't say that, you make all sorts of mistakes. And um yeah. I don't know. I mean, what was the I'm sure the death toll of COVID nineteen is much higher. And I'm sure our economic loss is gonna be much higher too. It's just oh, maybe for sure. Yeah. Just I guess not having a like singular like nuclear explosion makes <laughs> might make it a little harder to dramatize well in a sexy way. <laughs> I mean the thing with Chernobyl is it, they spend a lot of time talking about all the people that you don't hear about, like the non like the the miners and the scientists and the people who like worked tirelessly to contain it, right? Because that could have been a global issue. Like if they had let if they had done nothing, basically half of Europe would be totally like contaminated. In a way the the things that led up to the disaster was a lot of incompetence and a lot of um, bureaucratic bullshit. And a lot of the immediate response was also, but there were also a lot of very competent people, like the Fauci's of the world, I guess, that like made sure that it didn't get worse. I feel like they're going to have to tone down some of the real life personalities involved with this because it would be too unbelievable for TV. <laughs> like, think about everyone involved and... I feel like they're going to have to like adapt 45's character to be a little less ridiculous than he is in real life or else it would just wouldn't make sense. Like no one would believe it, right? Like you can't even write satire right now because nothing is weirder than the shit that comes out of his mouth. I, I think the interesting thing, though, is that we have so much covered everywhere, like on tape, on video, on like. And so like when people want to deny it, it'll be just be like, here you go. Yeah unfortunately um but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it'll be interesting because as we know the pot uh, you know and us being a pod culture podcast it is the narrative storytelling that enmesh that becomes that gets like picked up yeah. by mainstream pop culture that inherit that becomes the truth right that yeah. becomes yeah. the known version so it's really going to be how it's told in the first big movie the first big series that's going to kind of cement for future generations what's going to what happened i don't know how you make this into like a big dramatic like oscar movie because there's no explosions they, in covid they, right but they well, did already what was that one movie with gwyneth paltrow and kate winslet and pen it's not pandemic it's is it pandemic is it called pandemic i mean that's the thing right it's the even the the COVID thing is not a Ebola, right? It's not like a dramatic. It's like a slow burn virus. So, like Contagion, twenty eleven. They already <laughs> made this movie. Well, they've been making so. these movies for a long time, and they all include government incompetence that that stymies the development of like the response. And you know, it just goes to show no one's learned shit from media. Like why? Like why are we even doing this? And no one's going to learn any lessons. Uh. <laughs> But uh, you have to laugh or else you cry. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, we're gonna take a quick break. But when we come back, we're gonna go over some of the news over the last month and ask ourselves if we want this. Stick around. Hi. 
Hi, I'm Marvin. And I'm Rira. We're the host of Books and Boba, a book club and podcast dedicated to books by Asian and Asian American authors. Every month we pick a book by an Asian author to read and discuss on the show. We read a wide variety of genres from contemporary to historical fiction, fantasy to memoirs, and crime thrillers to romance. Some of our past book club picks are Pachinko by Minjin Lee, Sorcerer to the Crown by Zen Cho, and Devotion of Suspect X by Keigo Higashino. We also go over what's new in the Asian American literary world and chat with some talented Asian authors about their work. So whether you want to start reading for fun again or diversify your TBR list, we got your Asian literature cravings covered. For more info, check out our website at booksandboba.com. You can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. It's the end of the month, and you know what that means. It's time for our monthly news roundup segment called Do We Want This? Uh, we're going to go through some handpicked stories that we're uh, interested in and um, ask ourselves if we want this. So uh, let's start with Jess. What's your first story? Yeah, so uh, a recent, I guess, article breaking story came out about Peter Lenkoff, who was the showrunner of several very big broadcast television shows uh, Hawaii Five O, which ran for 10 seasons MacGyver and which was the last Magnum P.I. so like three kind of cop shows on CBS uh, kind of like to surprise no one very abusive boss terrible person and has since been let go and if, in all his from his deal with CBS and from basically producing or running any of these shows and Monica Maser, who is a black and Korean writer who is fabulous is now the taking over as the showrunner for MacGyver. So number one, yes. What do we want it? Yes. We want abusive assholes to get fired. Do we, and we want awesome women, awesome women of color, awesome black women to lead shows. Uh, and have be have more diverse showrunners. So yes, we want it. It really sucks though because the kind of you know obviously I understand why the abuse part and it was pretty terrible. I mean, I'm very brave. People kind of spoke on the record. It's kind of been like a not very well kept secret. It wasn't really a secret that he was like a terrible person. Um, I think it, he has been a terrible person for like to ten years. He's been running these shows at CBS. I'm, I mean, wasn't the thing that like. Yes, we know he's a terrible person, but he also makes hits. So we let him be a terrible person because because he brings in the money, right? Because of capitalism. Because of <laughs> capitalism. But here's the thing. It's okay. And I mean this with like respect in that it's it's very hard to run any TV show. Like I for people who like aren't kind of well versed in the industry, it's like actually pretty insane. It's a very hectic, stressful job. And you're basically the CEO of your of of a company right you're overseeing a lot of people and basically if you fuck up greatly and the show gets canceled all these people are out of a job so i understand <clears throat> and respect that but at the same time it is not like macgyver magnum pi and hawaii 50 are like super cerebral like emmy like winning like psychological deep like content yeah they're broadcast procedurals. Yeah, they didn't need him. They didn't have any sort of stamp of his, you know? And so, like, yeah. he just had the power. And, of course, people are used to, like, just 
keep on giving the white man the power that it's already in power. They're all reboots, Marvin. Those three shows are all reboots. The IP was already there. You could have gotten anyone to run this show. It wouldn't have been hard because the foundation was already there. I mean, I I think it's a perfect example of um, the term like correlation does not mean causation. Mm -hmm. Like just because this guy was shown running these three shows doesn't mean he was the reason these three shows were successful. Um, I think we've talked about this in our in, in our cop show episode. The formula itself has proven to be an easy way to make successful TV. Yeah. Right? I mean, I think there was several factors that finally was able to oust him. Um, number one, you know, Les Moonves, the head of CBS, got let go maybe like a year. Was it a year ago now? Um, because he got me too'd. Uh, and, you know, a lot of nasty stuff came out. So I do think, you know, a lot of this is top down and, you know, people like like protects like. So, you know, the the abusive rich white man on the top was probably protecting to some degree the abusive white man below him. Uh, two, there was the article by in Vanity Fair written by I think, believe it was Mo Ryan. Mo Ryan. Yep. Uh, that they knew was going to come out and that there was going to be a lot of hoopla about that. And really, it only came out because three, Lucas Till, who is a cisgender, straight, white actor, the star of MacGyver, basically came out about the abuse he suffered and was going to, you know, was willing to be named on the record in this article. So I think like those three, you know, it's I mean, I'm really good on Lucas Till. I've I, I, he will always be Mr. Hannah Montana in my heart. So I love that. Uh, he, you know, he spoke out and it's sad, but it took a someone like him to speak out. It wasn't enough for, you know, all these other women and people of color who were who very much knew how Lankoff was acting. It, like their opinion didn't quite make the same impact. Uh, so I think just that thing. So so just just to say, you know, Hollywood does have a lot of problems and until it can fix the inherent structure that allows this abuse to happen and allows like certain people to rise to the top maybe not on merit uh the easiest solution right now is like very much doing this like taking away those terrible people at the top because shows are extremely the tone culture and working environment of each show is extremely influenced set by the showrunner they they are the boss they are the person in charge so you know, the quickest solution of like removing these shitty people and placing awesome people who are going to do their job without inflicting like emotional trauma on their employees. Because I'm sorry, but if you can't do your job without like fucking abusing everyone, like this is not the job for you. <laughs> Go be an accountant. And I feel like even don't with abuse that there being either. said, don't abuse there either. But like, you know, maybe like, a, yeah, like there's still abusive people. Yeah. And I think that's something that's been coming coming out more and more lately is the fact that like toxic management culture is not unique to any specific mm-hmm. industry, right? We see yeah. this happening. We saw this happening at the LA Times food section with um, Peter Meehan. And going off that, like there was that story that just came out during Comic-Con with Peter Shinkoda. Mm-hmm. Um, mm, yes. Uh, who played, I didn't watch Defenders. I actually haven't seen many of the Netflix Marvel series. Even though I hear they're all pretty decent, um. Um, <laughs> Han has opinions. 
Um, but he was talking about, I guess he played, um, he was one of the main villains in, in one of the seasons of um, Daredevil. Not the Defenders, um, Daredevil, right? And then talking about how he was supposed to have a more fleshed out backstory. His character was supposed to have more depth, but the, I don't even think he was a showrunner, right? He was like some sort of creative director. He was the head of Marvel TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jeff Loeb. Yeah. Um, Jeff Loeb, who we all already like that name sounded so familiar. <laughs> and then I like did a quick Google and then, oh yeah, that's the dude that doubled down on that shitty um, Iron Fist casting by coming to Comic-Con dressed in a karate gi and just like proving that he's actually is a super shitty person because he apparently, allegedly, I guess, um, told the writers to not write, not to give the Asian characters, like the two main bad guys of that season, any deeper characterization because no one cares about Asian people. I don't even have to know anything Peter Shinoda has said to know that, you know, you just have to look at the cast of Iron Fist and what they did to that show and what they potentially could have done to know that they hated Asian people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I I was so against Iron Fist because, well, not, well, for the obvious reasons, but also because every one of my fellow TV critics was like, it's bad. But then so by the time the second season came, came around, I was like, okay. I'm going to make myself watch the first season so I can say without a doubt that it's bad. And so I was like, I'm going to start tweeting good things about the show. But uh, like as far as like the only good things about the show. And it was like a really lame thread. It was like, there's a dog. Hmm. End of list. (laughs) Right. It was bad. Yeah, I mean, so the best bad. parts about that show, from what I heard, was everything that didn't have anything to do with Iron Fist. Oh, right. Like, yeah, everyone Henwick. around him. Like, yeah, uh, I like Jessica Henwick. Um, that's it really it. Like, I mean, and I like her more than what they gave her to do. Because, like, her fighting is fine, but, like, I didn't like her story because they don't know how to write her. Um, and, well, apparently it's because yeah, the people were told not to write about her. I also <laughs> wonder how many, like, Asian people were in that writer's room. Oh, God, My no. God is, like, zero. Yeah, I'd have to uh, double check, so but I agree. I'd be interested. And, you know, if they had one Asian person, that poor Asian person probably was, like, a staff writer or, like, a support staff who couldn't say Wasn't shit. Wasn't listened to. Yeah. 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 And it really makes you think, like, thinking about all these people that were in charge of all these shows and all these articles with these ingrained notions of, like, people don't want to mm-hmm. hear about diverse stories. Like, imagine all the storylines that could have happened, all the things that could have been made that weren't because these few people in charge shot it down. I just, mm-hmm. I just, let's even talk about like the simple fact of who you're going to cast as Iron Fist, right? There are whole ass, hot ass Asian men who literally have like a pedigree of like martial arts or like, you know, who've like come from like generations of martial artists and shit, like literally who have been training their entire lives and who are just like hot. Let me emphasize like hot. And you go with like, like, I'm sure he's a fine, nice person, but like, you go with like the Knights of Summer British guy who can't fight. Who can't fight. Yeah, this right? Is, wasn't that the whole thing? This is my biggest issue is like with most fight casting, Asian or not, is if you can't get anyone to fight, like, for example, uh, on Cursed, um, the lady from 13 Reasons Why is like supposed to be good with sword fighting. She can't fight. And then, like, I think on Angel, the Buffy spinoff, like, the kid there was supposed to be able to fight. He could hardly kick. I'm, like, it pisses me off as someone who really loves fight choreography, like, so much. Right. 
I'd like, and people uh, are like, well, it's hard yeah. to train. It's like, no, 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 no. You, no, no, you no, can't no. say that when Keanu Reeves exists. Right, right, right. right? <laughs> it's hard to train. Well, then why don't you get the ones who know how to train? Uh, yeah. It, this 50 year old yeah. man can go around doing and, flips and, and like fighting hand to hand. Yeah. And as much as I like certain actors, not all of them are actually good actors. Um, so, like, it, it, this guy. It's also, it's also yeah. total bullshit because they're, I, they're like very specific reports. And then, to be fair, these these actors are phenomenal. But like, there are people like Charlize Theron and Margot Robbie mm-hmm. who like, mm-hmm. hey, I need to go fight, so I'm gonna like spend the time to train it. I heard Margot yeah. Robbie did all her own stunts in like heels, like that yeah. whole like thing where she like jumps on like like runs around the elevator like in you like platform heels. She does trainer. it herself. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, you know, they're just willing to put the work in. But again, they cast this like, let's be real. I can't even remember this actor's name like off the top of my head. Finn Jones. Maybe he was writing off like he was in Game, Game of, of Thrones. Thrones. Yeah. Before they like shut off all their goodwill. But I'm just like, it's not like they were casting like a Brad Pitt or like a. I don't yeah, know. No, yeah. he wasn't a well-known name. And no, also as yeah. much as I actually like him as a person, because he's very charming in person. But like, who the fuck cares? Yeah, <laughs> just no, like, this is an opportunity I mean, like that. That just makes it like even more like a fuck you in the face where it's just like you could have just. You know, yeah, picked if, a very good actor with good fighting chops and like elevated yeah. them to yeah. this level instead yeah. of like there it's not like you like as much as like I hate it, but if as long as you're if you're saying like, oh, like George Clooney's gonna play this role, I was like, okay, I do not agree, but I understand the economic decision to put this like huge mm-hmm. movie star in this role. But I'm sorry, that guy is not a huge movie star. Yeah, he didn't have name recognition and he couldn't fight. So why was he has? Hmm. Racism. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> Now that we have more, now that we have Mark, I mean, we've always had this context, right? We've always known the reason, but now that there's like some sort of confirmation, I mean, not to like, I didn't mean to come back and relitigate Iron Fist like five years after the fact, but you know, it's still, I mean, it still hurts. I'm sorry. It's still (laughs) a, yeah, it's still, it's still an open wound for, for those of us who cover this stuff, right? And it's still a problem because, you know, we are all very excited for uh, this Marvel casting. Um, uh, for Shang Chi, Shang Chi. Oh my God, I can't even say it. But Shang Chi. Um, but hey, we're in the middle of a quarantine. We're not getting it anytime soon. So what do we have right now? Like we're looking at this at a standstill. And what are the thing like the the superhero stuff we have that like it's still like hasn't changed yet? We're waiting. Yeah, but um, back to the story. <laughs> okay. Congratulations to Monica Macer, which is really exciting. Yeah. Um, she's wonderful. Like, I feel like I feel like she's not a household name, but she deserves to be because she's she was a showrunner of Queen Sugar, right? For season two, and she also did um, a stint with she did Gentified season one, mm. which was actually my last work event before everything shut down. <laughs> so it's a special place. I yeah. mean, she's just lovely. Yeah, she she cut her teeth doing Lost. That, that was her first like staff writing job, right? Yeah, I mean, what a what a first? first. Yeah, like what a early like when <laughs> isn't that amazing? Like your first gig was Lost or your first like staff writing job was Lost. She's worked yeah. on like Nashville. She did uh LA to Vegas, I think that show was called. No, Pan Am, sorry. It's another flight show. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and how you know that she's the right person is because um and she's told the story in in panels that she's done with both collab events that i've done and cape events that jess has done and at one event that we collaborated on hey. um but she's the reason why they didn't kill off daniel day kim's character in season one of lost mm-hmm. 
Uh, right. And, you know, like it just shows I, I don't think most writers until they get to like that Ryan Murphy Shonda land mm-hmm. or like Ava DuVernay level get like name brand recognition. Like it's it's pretty hard or like the Greg Berlanti's like it, it's pretty hard. You have to have several shows that you've created and like they have to be hits to get to that level. And I still don't think that most people outside the industry have a name recognition for those people other than Shonda's obviously different because you know the Shondaland shows are kind of we're all encroaching at one point <laughs> but you know if someone were to say like oh yeah like I'm a Berlanti fan I don't know if anyone like outside of like what we do would actually know what that means mm, right that's true. right um, yeah. I, I always have to talk to my my friend in Texas who watches no TV and then so she's like oh and that's about every single thing so that's usually a good yeah. gauge yeah. Well, I've learned that my yeah. like sister, I mean, my parents are like immigrants, so I'm not even going to try. But my sister <laughs> is like not a big culture consumer. Yeah. Like, neither are realized... my brothers. So like when I have to like talk about like my work or like what I'm excited about, they're like, who? What? Oh, I talk <laughs> about nothing about my job with my family. Like nobody knows anything. So, yeah. They're you know, like, what do you do, huh? You, you watch TV for work? You watch my, TV. Literally, my mom just asked me that in my last. She's like, so what's your new job? Are you still watching TV? Yeah. <laughs> and oh, I sorry. Like, I just learned that Jeff Lopes spells his name with the P-H. Oh, God. Yeah. We should have known he was shady. <laughs> Come on, guys. Like, Geoff? Like, G-E-O-F-F is already kind of bad. Jeff? Spelled J-E-P-H? <laughs> I just remember... I just I've seen him on so many panels and so many TCAs. Um, There was the there are so many shows that were not great also that had nothing to do with like Asianness or representation. I just remember him always doubling down about everything that was bad. (laughs) So I mean, like Chernobyl, right? If you think your shit don't stink. You're not never yeah. going to admit you're wrong. Yeah. And and honestly, going back to even the CBS stuff, like that was like every single press tour, like us, the, the journalists sort of like hammering CBS on their diversity issues and then also on their treatment of like reality stars and stuff like that, too. So, again, you know, everyone's getting their reckoning. So let's hope it all sticks. Yeah. It's getting harder to be an asshole. Which is good, but people are getting mad that they they can't be assholes anymore. So Wah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but on to happier news, Han. What are you excited about? Well, the segue from CBS, uh, which I just brought up, <laughs> so it was not much of a segue. But uh, uh, former Hawaii Five O actor turned producer Daniel Day Kim it has optioned a rom com novel called uh, a Sweet Mess. I think it's called a Sweet Mess. Yeah, mm-hmm. a sweet mess. And, you know, like uh, like Marie Kondo, I love mess. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> this is a rom-com, which sounds really sweet. Uh, sweet. Yes. By writer J.C. Lee. Um, and DDK is attached to Star. Yeah. Like um, last month's um, Dial A for Aunties. This is a book that was announced and it got immediately picked up for uh, to be made into a series or a film. Is the film, film or series? I think it looks like a film. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's I really like the plot so far because I mean yeah. I think one of the reasons. Uh, so Lee says that she wrote this story featuring Asian Americans as the main characters to show that as fellow Americans who laugh, cry, and love, uh, now everybody will be able to see 
this on screen. Um, but what it's about is there is a pampered socialite and she decides to become a small town baker um, so she can like lead a more private lifestyle. But then there is, of course, a cake mix up. Hmm. And uh, it, it ends up that she has to go and star on this uh, celebrity food critics cooking show and the California wine country. And oh so my God. it sounds fantastic. And can you imagine Daniel J. Kim as a food critic cooking show celebrity? Like, right. oh my if there God. is not a scene where he takes off his shirt because chocolate <laughs> drips on his abs, I'm going to be really bad. <laughs> I mean, so, there's going to be food smudged on his face at who, some point. Whoever's have producing to this, please listen to this podcast. I probably actually <laughs> probably know like someone who's producing this. You know, I if you specifically can't. am asking for a shot of chocolate on Daniel Day Kim's abs. So um, the book that this is based on is I think it's classified as a rom-com, but it is a romance novel. Yeah. Um, How much sex is so, there, Marvin? You've read this book. <laughs> How much doing I, it is book's there? not out yet. Yeah, no, it's book's out. not out yet. So. It says the 14th, but I don't know. I need oh, to actually July. double check that. Oh, wow. Yeah, I need to actually read this book then. Um, <laughs> um, I think the, um, like, um, from what I remember from the plot that we covered on Books and Boba, um, the impetus for going on Danny K. Kim's show is because um, he wrote a scathing review of her big shop <gasps> before they hooked up. Oh, but she did, because she didn't know, right? She didn't know when they hooked up. He wrote yeah. this review, and then basically, like her business is like failing mm. because of it. Mm. So, oh, this is all classic good stuff. romance. Setup, yeah, right? it is it. completely. <laughs> I I do love the, these types of formulas. First of all, I love it when food is involved. Yes, because in general, food narratives are really fun. Um, there's usually puns involved. Um, it's sexy and um, food porn, <laughs> like the just the yeah. shots. It's very but cinematic. Also, also, when you think about it, like some of my favorite. Uh, romances and rom-coms deal with food. Um, Simply Irresistible. Hello. Oh, uh, I love that. Oh my God, Han, we need to take this offline, but we need to form a <laughs> Simply Irresistible fan club. It's going it to be you so and great. me. The, oh, crab! Yeah. the, the crab! The crab! The <laughs> crab. The um, crab. Anyway, <laughs> we are, yeah, we're going to have to bring this back up. But yeah, and yeah. I mean, even what you were talking about last week, you know, like Water for Chocolate, Sexy, Sexy Food Times. Um, so I, I think this is just going to have everything in it. And I also like that she's a baker. So, hey, you know, as much as I love Asian food and that sort of representation, we're not going to have another Asian making dumplings or something like that again. She's going to be a baker, something that everyone knows and, and and isn't like just the territory of like Asians. So, yeah. OK, I, fantasy draft time. Who are we mm. casting? If Daniel Day Kim is playing the male romantic lead. Who are we casting? Okay, so socialite turned baker. Baker. Korean. Oh. I just know how old, like, Daniel Day Kim is in real life. So, I mean, Asian Yeah, we don't want to be too ingenue. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She has to be, like, an established badass woman who can, like, go toe-to-toe, right? Yeah, I want her also just to be age-appropriate, like, upper 30s, you know, if possible, or mid to upper. Um, Yeah. Isn't Gemma Chan like mid to upper 30s? I think so, but I can't, I don't know exactly. <laughs> it's just hard for Asians because like we all look so young. <laughs> like honestly. I mean, like clearly we wouldn't have like, it's, she's the wrong type, but like Aquafina, she's too young. Um, but yeah, I like Gemma Chan. 
I'm trying to think if there's someone else. There have to be a few other people. I would just like whoever's casting to not assume that everything has to be played by a you know a Constance Wu or a Gemma Chan. I mean, I, I know I you I literally brought just her up, but that's only because you know those are literally the mm-hmm. first two names that come to mind yeah. because they were in the biggest mm-hmm. movie starring Asian Americans in like the last five years, right? So I, I think, think Michelle Krusik would be great. She needs more Greta love. Lee. Greta Lee's hilarious. Mm. She's, she's, she's so funny. She might be a little young. Uh, 83? Not that young. I like to see Hong Chao flex her comedic muscles. Oh, yeah. She would that work. That would be good. She kind of hemmed it up for um, Watchmen, too, right? She did. I still have issues with Watchmen. Um, maybe this I, would be a yeah. good way to get her to be, yeah, for I just, I just don't know if people realize, like, again, we're like, Asians are ageless. Um, so I don't think people like I I know how old D- Daniel Day Kim like actually is. It's not a secret. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying like I think he's older than see... most people think he is. Yeah. Did you see the TikTok that his son put up? Yes, the thirst ones. Yeah. yeah. No, but or I the guess one I'll where, check like, it out. It's basically him, <laughs> his brother, and and their dad Daniel Day Kim recreate a picture from ten years ago, and Daniel Day Kim looks like he aged backwards. That's what uh that's what having money and um not being racist will do to you. You know, you stay young and looking good. When you when you you need both though, because if you have money but you're a racist, it like ages you. Mm-hmm. It really does. It makes you into a palpatine. Yeah. It's the palpatine effect. Yeah. Right? Yeah. All right. I got a story for y'all. Um, so going off another book adaptation that just got announced today. Um, I saw this on the Cape Twitter feed because that's where I get all my entertainment hey. news. Um, Kerry Washington's uh, production company, Simpson Street, is developing an adaptation of Lillian Lee's number one Chinese restaurant, uh, which is another book that I read for Books and Boba um, almost two years ago. Uh, it's a story about a family-owned Peking duck restaurant in Silver Spring, Maryland. Um, and kind of the, um, it's like a workplace drama about the family that runs it and the people that work in it. Um, and I'm super excited because it was one of my favorite books of 2018. Um, it's a really interesting story because it's about working class Asians, like the family that owns the restaurant and the workers that work in the restaurant and their entire lives revolve around that restaurant. So multiple generations, the grandparents started a restaurant, the brothers took it over, the grandchildren also work in the restaurant. And it's just about like, I'm sure we all, well, I don't want to speak for two of you, but I feel like we all know someone who comes from a restaurant family. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah, I do. And, and I know several. This is actually very exciting because besides the whole food thing again, but the fact that the food is par- like part of the family structure, it means that it's just going to be like everywhere. Um, so I'm so excited to see how they portray yeah. that. It's going to be very cool because uh, it's all about identity then. This business, not just identity. I mean, identity is part of it. It's oh also no, part I meant I, story, I meant part regs or riches. No, what I mean by that is the restaurant is part of their identity as in their family. Yeah, I mean, you have like the older brother who's the dutiful one who's trying to like save the family restaurant in this modern times because it's it's been run the same way since you know the seventies, and then you have the younger brother who wants to start his own modernized version of the restaurant in like Arlington, Virginia, which is like where all the yuppies are, and you have that tension. You have the mother who's kind of the matriarch of the family who wants to like control everything. You have the children who just want to like rebel. Right. And you also have like the staff. It's kind of has that Downton Abbey thing where you have the owners 
um, who are like self-made uh, middle class East Asian family. And you have like the workers of the, the cooks and the servers and the hostesses who have their own internal drama and their own relationships that are separate, but also connected to the, to the restaurant. So there's a, there's an opportunity for this to be a really interesting look at just like immigrant culture that we I don't think we've seen in a no uh, at least not in like mainstream no I don't media. I don't think we've seen some a story like this centering on on the you know the family and the Chinese family that runs the Chinese restaurant there's always like the Chinese restaurant as the background right or you know like Luke Cage um, is adopted by Chinese speaking of Marvel yeah. kids. Uh, but it, you know to make it like for it to be such a commonplace like situation or story in america and to have never had a narrative focused on that is is i mean we know why because racism but it's <laughs> it's exciting and i'm glad I, i'm glad actually um this project looks like it's lined up to look like it's gonna be done well the team is asian women and it's you know carrie washington's production company so i yeah who's the showrunner again it's um they're attached for jessica Yu, who is a award-winning mm-hmm. director she she directed ping pong player and she also right, has she's been the ping working player. very yeah. very regularly uh with a lot of accolades in the tv world so she's directed like fossey verdon uh hollywood the the mini the ryan murphy's miniseries as well as uh ratchet the also the upcoming ryan mm-hmm. murphy series uh so like a lot of prestige dramas uh she's yeah and then i think lillian lee the author of the book is also going to be working to adapt it so yeah. fingers crossed it looks like it's going to be done with respect and very smartly i'm excited so yeah do we want this hell yes yes we do especially since we can't well i don't know how soon we'll get it but since we can't eat at restaurants right now Man, I, I can go for some Peking duck. Oh right my now. god! Oh my god! And let me tell you, Peking duck, you—it is not the same when you eat it at home. Like we've done, like takeout. Oh no! And the, you need the skin. You need the. It's crisp. not as crispy. It's just not the same. Okay, I have a question mm. for you. Do you prefer bowls or crepes for your duck? Uh, I think for me, bow. And I'm I don't an even e- eat that many. I'm an equal mm. opportunity. I don't care because I'm not eating it for the carb wrapping. I'm eating it for the duck skin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the it duck has- skin that's the star. <laughs> yeah, I, I I do have to agree with that. I'm not picky whatever I get. Um, but since I eat bows so rarely, I guess. Um, yeah, mm. I think I prefer mm. crepes, but I like adding in the sprig of green They're onion, and I go kind of light on the hoisin sauce. I don't really go. Yeah, oh, yeah light either. on the hoisin because like you don't want to cover the taste of the duck. Yeah, but the green yeah. onions, I love. I like <laughs> use probably like twice the amount an average person would. All right. Um, I guess to finish up our segment, um, do you guys want to talk Emmys? Nominations came out this week. Couple highlights. I mean, obviously, Killing Eve is front and center, like getting tons of nominations. Like both Jodie Comer and. Sandra O oh are up for Best Actress, which is... Don't they usually split that? Not necessarily. I think last year they also did um, be, uh, Best Actress. Um, and I think that's fair also, because they it really is a two-hander. Mm-hmm. Except my only issue is that this season wasn't the best season um, in general for the show, but also 
specifically for Sandra Oh's character. Uh, so I'm glad that she was nominated anyway because people still really, really, really love her and they know that a good thing when they see it. But I also worry then if they're going to nominate something that wasn't maybe her best work, if it's just lip service. Um, I mean, most of these nominations are kind of lip service. Yeah, right? well, that's what you always hope. And like for some people who are not as like well known, that's great when they're nominated. And so I'm very happy that she's nominated for, you know, don't get me wrong. But I, I am also wondering like, I, so I actually was part of the experts, I guess, who, you know, did their predictions on Gold Derby. And it was interesting when I first put in my predictions and then like how when I updated them right before the nominations came out, because I had to try to figure out like what were the Academy members thinking? So like several weeks ago, deep, everyone was deep into like Black Lives Matter. So I figured, okay, they're going to be more people of color nominated and yeah i think there were a f- definitely a few more in certain categories i mean i feel like that's represented in the fact that was it watchman garnered like watch watchman in particular is a show that really speaks to the moment to a lot of people and um, despite the fact that i have certain issues with it it definitely does drive home that idea of systemic racism and you know it started off with the tulsa massacre um so yeah it's it's i think a very important show and uh for everyone to watch and to talk about so i think it's the perfect show to actually have this much attention at the time um so i'm glad but i do have to say it is Mm -hmm. created the show is created by a white man i mean not to that's not that's not a judgment of like the actual content or just i'm just like we take a macro step look it's like the show itself still created showrun by a white male and the book that it's based off was also written by a white male. So while it's, you know, they've done a really interesting take on it and obviously like anytime you give Regina King to like eat the material, it's Regina King. She's going to eat the material. Like she could read like a phone book and like get an Oscar nomination for it. But it is very interesting, like the bigger conversation as to, so Watchmen wins, but who's getting the actual yeah, award. I mean, th- I've always had an issue with that in the first place. And, you know, he tried to get, you know, writers to help him do the stuff that he didn't know how to do. He was very afraid of making a show that was racist because of his own point of view. Um, th- and that is actually my biggest issue with the show is he was so focused on trying to get the black and white matters that, uh, right that I hated the Vietnamese character who was played by Hong Chow. So... Because I thought the writing was lazy, it, I thought it was very unnuanced in ways. It it made her like a crazy like character that had no actual like genuine you know um, sort of personality. Um, so yeah, this is also the reason why it's like yeah he was focused on one thing, but he totally didn't pay attention to the other thing. So um, I I felt yeah. yeah I feel like that's something that's. You know, we saw that also with The mm-hmm. Five Bloods, where it was a really unique take on the Vietnam movie because it centered black characters, but the actual Vietnam part of it, the Vietnamese people part of it, was handled not as well. And from one perspective, that is a win, but on the other perspective, where we've always seen like Vietnamese people being portrayed a certain way, yeah, it's like, it, it's, but that's it's still interesting happening, because right? like, 
Spike Lee, as much as I love his work, it's always hit or miss for me. And at this point, when I watched it, I was like, oh, I don't know what this movie was. Um, so I did watch it all the way through. And I because I wanted to see what Veronica Nill was doing in there. And uh, she had mm-hmm. a minor part only. But um, yeah. And so I was just like, th- he just didn't like he told the story he wanted to tell. Um, but he just didn't bother. I don't feel to try and say, hey, well, while these people characters are in this country, maybe I should ask, you know, and do something else like to see <laughs> their perspective, because all the characterizations of the Vietnamese people there were very lame. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's the thing, right? Like the people that Spike Lee is making that show for the people that like Damon Lunalov is making the Watchmen for are not necessarily like the same people that view these things the way we do, which because we're like a quote unquote underrepresented group we gravitate towards how Hong Chao's character is being portrayed. And when that's not up to the rest of the standard, it feels like a betrayal, right? It, it stings extra. Yeah. And so I think that's... It was a disappointment yeah. for sure. I remember the first half of the the series, I only got so many screeners. And so I was like, I was watching and I was like, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. That <laughs> and then I was just like, well, he wrote Lost, so maybe it will make sense. And then I wa- and then I finished it. No. And I was like, oh, no. oh, girl, no, that was a the key. The phrase, key part of that phrase was Lost. he wrote Lost. The conclusion you drew would not should not have been. It's going well, to make sense. He, well, he actually also did, you know, the leftovers, which was actually I think a well done show. It's not my favorite show, but I think it was very well handled and. It was very thoughtful and things like that. So, um, wow, I didn't expect that to become a relitigation of the Watchmen one year after the fact. Um, any other nominations stick out to you? Dev Patel, Sexy Daddy Dev Patel is nominated for best. Uh, I think it's guest, uh, guest in a guest actor in a comedy for his uh, role in Modern Love. Um, uh, you know mm. what? Give this man everything. Um. You can have everything. So excited for uh, David Copperfield. He's like one of those dudes who like really looks super different once he like puts well, on that. Well, sexy it's because beard. he was so young in Slumdog Millionaire and whatever the male ingenue <laughs> equivalent is. Like he was such a baby in Slumdog yeah. Millionaire, but so like earnest and like heart. Like the way he just looks at Latika, like Frida Pin- Frida Pinto's character, is just like okay, we're all in love with him, and then. The man has the audacity to like get bulked up and hot <laughs> as fuck and grow a beard that connects. Like that's upsetting. And then like takes really great roles. Uh, you know, he, he kind of like transitions into a newsroom. So he got like the prestige drama under his belt and then does Lion, which was a fantastic movie. Uh, and then on, on top of all that, there's like a sexy foreign accent, like in a, like a, mm. like a like British thing. It's just all. It, yeah, it's not fair. Um, but yeah. So I'm as as you can see, I'm a, I'm a big Dev Patel fan. He can he can have it all. He can have the Emmy. He can have my heart. He can have my body. He can get whatever it. Whatever he wants. Whatever he wants. So <laughs> I'm ha- I would. I mean, they're gonna broadcast it, but it's gonna be from. Is it gonna be from home? Are they broadcasting? I don't know. Is this like the first yeah. major awards show? Yeah. Um, the fact COVID that they times? even said this was going through and then they announced a, a host. I was like, what? I am still waiting to see what they're going to do. I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of green screen. Yeah. It, it's fine mm. as long as Dev Patel is yeah. like 
not is there and maybe like not wearing like a shirt if that's okay it, somehow chocolate <laughs> would also pour on him pour and, on his uh... abs uh-huh oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean he's at home he's like, oh no possible. i spilled on myself right. That sounds like something that would happen if um, Taika mm. won for this. Well, also, could, this also sounds like the beginning totally of a very bad porno writing. <laughs> so, I mean, it works. It's fine. Uh, that's exciting. And then, you know, <laughs> shout outs to Padma Lakshmi for being nominated for a host and as a producer for Top Chef. Uh, and David Chang's Ugly Delicious got nominated for Best Series. And Rain Valdez who i i mean i'm sh- i don't have like the source but i am sure she is the first filipina trans woman nominated in an acting category first asian trans woman probably so that's pretty that is you know we still have, there's still a lot of work to do there's still a lot of progress made basically like all latinx performers actors were shut out which is ridiculous considering pose is a show that is on right now uh, uh- Alexis Bledel kind of counts, actually. She's but... white, Han. She's, <laughs> she's white. white. No, no, she's white. There's a she's difference, half. and she's still white. No, she's like Argentinian. Oh, is but she? But she's white. No. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so it's like she's saying white you're like German, eyes. but your family moved to Mexico. Like, ethnically, you're still German. So. <laughs> Anything you're excited about, Han? Emmy wise? I'm not. I mean, I'm very, very, very jaded and I just don't care about award shows in general. But and I shouldn't say that because, you know, hey, Emmy predictions. But um, I mean, I am happy, like as much as I about like whine about stuff. Um, I am very happy that a black lady sketch show um, got nominated. Um, I wish a lot more d- other deserving shows also got nominated. Like, where's Jesus and Mero? Where are any of these other people? Um I, I noticed that people kept mm. trying to proffer up uh, Aquafina uh, in the lead actress category for comedy. And I think while many people didn't love her show, I think she did a good job. Um, so that would have been nice, but no, she didn't get in yeah. there. So I am not super excited. Uh, Watchmen, since I have such mixed feelings about Watchmen and the fact that it got so nominated everywhere means that, you know, like I just want Regina King to win. Um, everyone else. Eh. And then uh, Succession was also big on that list. I actually do like Succession a lot. Didn't watch Maisel. That's big on the list. Schitt's Creek also big on the list. I don't I don't care about any of those. And I think we saw more people of color as far as like black actors and actresses. And, and in some cases, more than one per category. Surprise. So, you know, uh, so there is yeah. slight bit of progress there. Also, the first Star War made it to the Emmys. Yeah, Mandalorian got in there. Um, and a lot of sh- new streaming services, including Quibi, you know made what? it Props to the Emmy for Quibi. Wait, Quibi got nominated? Well, you know, you know why? Because the short form uh, web stuff doesn't, they doesn't have that much competition. You know, to be fair, I did catch the, um, the free preview they gave of the Princess Bride show on Quibi. And, and that's pretty delightful. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, look, I'm not here to poo-poo the individual shows on Quibi. You know, I think those are definitely the product of whoever created them. Um, just the concept just the platform. of Quibi. <laughs> <laughs> the overall platform. So yeah, so HBO Max had stuff on there. I think uh, Apple TV Plus also had stuff on there. So I think only it's Peacock... Brave New World. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I just think that Peacock didn't go in because uh, the, it didn't make the cutoff. So um, yeah, I, it's 
it, but that also made things a little bit more crowded. So there were a few, you know, a few head scratchers there. Um, we'll see. I haven't even like metabolized all of what's gone, you know, like every nomination yet. So I will be studying that over the next few months in order to make my predictions again and see. And I guess with that, that'll do it for this edition of Do We Want This? I guess, do we ask ourselves, do we want the Emmys? Do we want the Emmys? Reluctantly, I guess. Um, <laughs> part of it is because they are making a tiny, tiny, tiny step forward. And, you know, we got to support that. And also, I am kind of curious to see what this award show looks like. I mean, I inherently, yeah. I do believe that and I understand and recognize that award shows, Emmys, Oscars, whatever, are all just, you know, circle jerking PR and it has really nothing on the merit of the people creating the show or acting in it or doing whatever on the show. But it does drive power in the industry and a Emmy can get you to a new level of your career that lets you uh, have a lot more agency. So I do want people of color, women to be invited to that level and have access to that. So if we're going to have them, let's do it right, is what I'm trying to say. I think I'm excited for what's coming next. Like, Given all the announcements that we've been covering, especially even in this episode, there's a lot of really cool TV that has the promise to be really good coming up. And I hope when they do come out that they also get their props in during award season. Um, and I guess with that, that'll do it for this episode of Good Pop Culture Club. Uh, thanks again for joining me, Jess and Han. Uh, people, if people want to find... More of your thoughts online work, and there you go. You can find me at Just Jude Tweets on Twitter. And I am at Hanonymous, H A N H O N Y M O U S. And you can follow me at Marvin Yue. You can follow the show at Good Pop Club. And you can find the show at goodpop.club. Uh, if you're on Apple Podcasts, uh, please give us a rating and review. Uh, we super appreciate it. And this show is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts. Um, check out other great shows such as the Korean Drama Podcast, They Call Us Bruce, Saturday School, and more by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. Thanks again for listening. And um, don't forget to watch some good pot this week. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Stay safe. Stay sane. Steve? What's going on? Tell me, what do you know about K-dramas? Oh, um, they have something to do with the drama that comes from K-cup coffee pots? Because you know they're bad for the environment? Uh, no. Oh, you mean Korean dramas? Yeah, I know that they are very grounded in reality. No, that's actually the opposite of what happens. It, it sounds like you don't know anything about K-dramas. Yeah, I was just guessing. That's actually perfect. Remember Will, Phil, and Joanna did that Korean drama podcast? Yeah, they saw Boys Over Flowers. Yes, and people apparently listen to it and want another season. But Will and Phil are still recovering from that season. Oh my god, are they okay? I did hear they tried to give themselves amnesia. Oh, is that a K-drama thing? Yeah, pretty much. So... Are you guys down to help out with the new season of the Korean drama podcast? So we're going to be watching a K-drama this time? Which one? Secret Garden from 2010. It was a big hit. And if you're down, check out the Korean drama podcast at koreandramapod.com. Kaja! Am I going to see sauna towel buns?